It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Installment number 171 of J.C. and Morgan. Football season is here. Week zero, again, that was the garnish, the appetizer. Uh, Maybe some seasoned bread with some good butter. Um, Maybe even maybe even a light salad. But this past week, this was the main course. This was everything. This was the meat, the potatoes. Uh, if you're a vegetarian, it was um, what do we what do vegetarians eat? What's that? It was a tofu. It was a big tofu burger. It was a big, juicy tofu burger uh, with all kinds of fixings and all that other good veggie stuff. It was fantastic. Uh, week one rarely disappoints. This week one uh, was an outstanding slate of games. And most of them lived up to the billing. And then it wasn't even the headliner games that stole the show. We talked about Utah, Florida was going to be probably the best, most competitive game on the board. It lived up to it. And then you just had wacky games. We, we love the wackiness. We love the fact that these are when you've got teenagers on the field, things like giving up 40 points in a fourth quarter, but still winning like North Carolina did things like a kicker missing two chip shots, uh, like East Carolina did, like all these things just happened in a in a uh, a tidal wave of entertainment, and I would imagine that when the ratings come in, they're going to be awfully good for Week One of college football. So we've got a lot to talk to talk about, rather to you, with you, and with us. Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network, J.C. Sherbert of Twenty Four Seven Sports. We'll. Uh, Have our producer extraordinaire, Michael Haney, chime in momentarily. Get the hot Haney five uh, cranked up. Uh, We've got under the radar. We've got um, our don't sleep on segment. How how happy was I to see Old Dominion pull off the win over Virginia Tech? No knock of Virginia Tech, but I just I, I said two things. There'd be an FCS team that won and there'd be a group five that was going to beat a power five that both happened. Uh. Uh, second time Old Dominion's done it against Virginia Tech. Delaware defeated Navy. Kind of an off-the-radar game, but mm. congratulations. Uh, no, Joe Flacco was not playing in that game, but Delaware did beat Navy. Uh, so we'll we'll cover all that and then look ahead as we uh, ordinarily do, even give some picks later on. JC, uh, how did things stand out to you in week one of the college football campaign? Well, you know, it was a it was a good weekend. I, I agree with everything you said. I thought, uh, you know, and I know we're going to talk about it later. Um, Iowa, South Dakota State. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I think I think Iowa needs to maybe look at their quarterback situation a little bit. Two uh, two safeties and a field goal. They went seven to three against the Jackrabbits, who uh, before Saturday were more well known to be a NCAA tournament basketball team. Uh, I actually have some Jackrabbits here, by the way. Uh, you know, the, one of the most underrated uh, performances of the weekend, Oregon State 34, Boise State 17. Yeah. I think the Beavers are going to be pretty good this year. Uh, other than that, you know, the, the SEC action was tremendous. Uh, the two major schools in the state of North Carolina, NC State UNC, uh, didn't travel outside the border of their states. But, uh, boy, those were scary, scary games for both those teams in, in different ways. Uh, 
you know, Florida, a big win for them. And then, you know, finally, Florida State fans have been through so much the last however many years. Good to see them get that victory as improbable as it was on Sunday night. Um, so, you know, Oregon, uh, Ohio State Notre Dame was a really good football game. Georgia, Oregon was not. Uh, you know, just kind of um, those things sort of stood out. But it, you're right. It was not a disappointing weekend uh, of college football. Yeah. And, and LSU, Florida State got off to kind of a sluggish start. It It was a. It was one of those where it was like, okay, new coach, but LSU still got issues. They've got a leaky offensive line. Um, they offensively, they were, you started to wonder, did they make the right call at quarterback? Jaden really redeemed himself in the fourth quarter, particularly on that 99 yard drive where he was brilliant. Um, but, but there was a lot to not like about LSU. And then you have that amazing comeback and, uh, you know, Florida state basically gives you a gift. You take advantage and then don't blame the kicker on that extra point. That kick had no chance. You could have brought back Jan Stenerud and George Blanda and Pete Stojanovic. And I don't know, uh, give me another kicker that just yeah. rattle off the tongue. All it, it, you didn't block the entire left side because the formation got blown up and the kick had no, it wasn't like the kick was just low. So anyway, uh, people, what I've noticed already, guys is that a lot of people just don't like Brian Kelly and I don't know why that is, but they seem to like revel in his loss. Is it the fake Southern accent? Like I get it that that came across as disingenuous. Uh, Is the fact that he came from Notre Dame? Maybe, I don't know, but there was a lot of just like, it wasn't from, from Seminole fans. It was vitriol. Like, ha ha, Brian Kelly, you suck. I'm glad you lost. Uh, I hope your hope your family is in an unfortunate car accident. It was just like was I, I try not to judge humanity on Twitter, but man, it was it was brutal. I think that most of that comes from the way he exited Central Michigan and Cincinnati collectively. I think that's where, if I had to pinpoint, yeah. That, are we from. still bitter about that? Like I, that was I, well, 10 I think, years I think ago. You add, you add those two things with him being the coach at Notre Dame. Yeah. And then Notre Dame having the schadenfreude that they do nationally. I think that's the pot of gumbo with Brian Kelly. And then obviously the fake Southern accent going into LSU fish out of water deal. Yeah. Just all kind of mixes together. I think that's where that comes from. Well, you might be right because, and I, the, the central Michigan one, I don't remember as well as the Cincinnati one. Everybody remembers, right? Like that was a, it was one of those like, where coaches feel like they must lie or at least be somewhat dishonest about the fact of what their true intentions are. And they all do it. But Brian Kelly's was very notable at the time. And, and so maybe that rubs some people the wrong way, but I mean, the guy did a great job at Notre Dame. Um, anyway, by the way, Notre Dame, Ohio state, I, I, I missed a lot of that game because I was working. It, it, I, why Ohio State wasn't better offensively, I don't have an answer for. Uh, that they are they are beyond loaded. So I get it, Notre Dame, good defense, credit Marcus Freeman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But why in the world Ohio State shouldn't struggle to score points against anybody, anybody? So I, I don't know. You guys might have seen more of that one than I did, but that that the score surprised me more than the actual result. I yeah I, I thought uh, Notre Dame had a really good defensive game plan. I also think this. I think 
Notre Dame, their lines of scrimmage are probably uh, upcycling a bit. Uh, and, you know, you're right. I mean, I don't know why Ohio State was misfiring. They're supposed to be, you know, if not the best uh, offense in the country, one of the best. I think maybe game one, though, Mike, you know, you come out and, you know, I'm trying to think of like the last time Ohio State played a big time opener. I'm probably wrong about this. I think it was Virginia Tech uh, two years back to back. And that first year, uh, the Hokies got them. Uh, up in Columbus, Urban Meyer was the coach there. And then the next year they rolled. But uh, I think sometimes teams that do have good offenses, they don't they don't necessarily – they got misfire because it's the first time, especially when you're playing a good team. I, I thought it was a heck of a game. Uh, there's a lot Notre Dame can take from that, I think, and improve upon. Uh, kudos to Ohio State defense, which was not – you know, the, the, that was kind of a bugaboo for them last year was the, defensively. and to hold the Irish to 10 points, I think is a pretty good accomplishment, but yeah, uh, that, that fine. If you would have asked me what that final would have been, my God, I, I thought Notre Dame could play it close, but I felt more of like a 35, 28 ish game than a 21, 10. Yeah. This wouldn't qualify as under the radar because everybody knows what a great job that he did. Uh, and it was a coup to get him, but, but Jim Knowles, I mean, that's the difference, right? He, he, mm-hmm. What he did at Oklahoma State, a program that has been notorious for putting up a lot of points and giving up a ton of points, uh, he actually had them as one of the top defenses in the country. I never thought I'd see that in Stillwater in the Big 12, but he did it. So Ohio State, you wonder why the rich get richer. I mean, this is why. Like Jim Knowles had a great job at Oklahoma State, made great money at Oklahoma State, was treated like a god at Oklahoma State, but Ohio State's just better. And so – it's a continual poaching of the top players through the portal and the top coaches through free agency, if you will. So that that's why we're, we're not changing anytime soon in the hierarchy of college football. Jim Knowles could have been just as dominating at Oklahoma state, but they're not going to win as many games and Oklahoma state probably wasn't prepared to pay him quite as much money. So uh, again, not, doesn't qualify for under the radar, but certainly his presence was known. I'll tell you what does qualify for under the radar before we get into the uh, the hot Haney, Haney five and some other uh, subjects. Uh, I was in Kentucky, did that game. The Kentucky wide receivers, people wanted to know who will replace Wondell Robinson. Remember the names Dane Key and Barry and Brown both uh, showed out pretty well. In, in, and not to mention the um, uh, Robinson kid for the transfer from Virginia Tech. They've got the big matchup against Florida that we'll talk about later, but uh, their bigger concern is going to be an offensive line that lost three starters. That's going to be the issue for Kentucky this year. I'm telling you right now, it's not as much the wide receivers or some of the losses on defense. It's going to be their offensive line, which the big blue wall did not look like it in their week one win against Miami of Ohio. Uh, We referenced the game. Might as well mention the name. Remember when Al Golden was just like a bad word? because of because of what happened at Miami and again he was just like a pinata and your typical chorus of Miami fans that have never so much has been on the campus but love to get you tattoos on their deltoid and so on and so forth we we know it, it's like the it's like the jersey shore of fan bases uh they they wanted to pretend like Al Golden was the only thing that wasn't working at Miami Al Golden actually at, at a time was a pretty good coach well he's now the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame 
and obviously did good work in that uh, Ohio State game. I know it feels like forever ago, but Thursday night, under the radar, just how good the backyard brawl is, 75 miles separating Pitt and West Virginia. That game needs to be played every day, um, and it was phenomenal. And then I would also add Chase Bryce at App State. Remember, Chase Chase Bryce is part of the reason why Clemson won that second national title, right? I mean, remember the throw that he made? Uh, who was the game against? Help me, guys. Uh, oh. Syracuse, right? Was it Syracuse? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, Pretty sure that's who it was. Yeah. He, he, he bounced around and bounced around, and now Chase Bryce is with App State. They should have won that game. He was very good. Uh, and then I'll say one other thing. Uh, well, two other things. Um, everybody knows what, what uh, Anthony Richardson did for Florida. Montrell Johnson was the most consistent weapon in that game. He is the transfer running back from Louisiana. That probably didn't draw much attention when he followed Billy Napier, but he looks like a beast for their ground game. And then you mentioned the game, JC. Iowa's ability to win ugly games. How about this for a stat? Since 2020, teams that won a game with eight or more punts, Iowa's done it six times now. Six times. Nobody else has done it more than twice. So I don't know what to make of that. It was an awful game. They scored seven points without a touchdown. They had two safeties against South Dakota State. But by golly, they know how to win ugly as well as anybody over there at Iowa. Yeah, and that was an ugly game. That was one of the picks I did not get right over the weekend. I, I had a bad week as far as, like, predicting what would happen in games. But as far as predicting outcomes, I was, I was pretty stellar. Uh, I looked at the line, and it was like, you know, South Dakota State was getting 10 and a half. And I was like, this is not North Dakota State. This is South Dakota State. This is the Jackrabbits, uh, not the Bison, which is uh, basically the Ohio State of, of FCS or the Alabama of FCS. And um, so I was like, well, Iowa, you know, they, they should win it probably about like 24 to six if it's ugly. And but then when I saw Iowa, Iowa's quarterback trying to throw the ball, I was like, oh, they probably are going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, he didn't help them much. They've got problems up there. But, you know, when you can win ugly, sometimes they live to fight another day. You make adjustments. Kirk Ferentz has been doing it a long time. And you go through and you see what you, how, how you can fix things. And that's uh that's what good coaches do, and certainly he is one, and you'd much rather win ugly than the alternative. One last uh, segment that I'll uh, go through quickly here because I know we're pressed on time, and Hot Haney 5 is just uh, chomping at the bit over there. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. The close calls, uh, you just mentioned one of them, South Dakota State, could have easily beaten Iowa. East Carolina should have beaten NC State. I don't know why you, you ever schedule a game in Greenville. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, App State should have beaten Chapel Hill, my man Gene Chiswick, oof, 40 points in the fourth quarter. Um, Baffling. They, well, I mean, they were god awful on defense before him. Like, it's going to take more than a year to get that straight. And Texas San Antonio had Houston, had him, had him. They let him off the hook. Uh, so the, uh, the Roadrunners could have had a nice win over a future Big 12 team now in the AAC. Michael Haney. We, we, we welcome you back. You got a chance to get your feet wet into the college football scene. Hope you had a good Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, Sunday, and yes, even Monday, Clemson blows out Georgia Tech.
You know, I uh, this is the first free weekend, like full free weekend that I have actually had to really sit down and watch college football in a long time. So it was a it was an absolute blast on Saturday to get to experience all of that, like right out of the gate, the North Carolina games uh, that you're mentioning um, uh, and, and what fun that was just to see the craziness that is college football and what makes it so special and why we enjoy doing things like this and what pulls me back in. Just yes. think, uh, that, that the music world's going to completely take me away. Uh, of no. course, not. Uh, I've got to be got to be in it. And of course, I do work with the guys in Sister Hazel. They're huge Florida Gator fans. So um, I know that Saturday night they were ecstatic with the debut of Billy Napier. Uh, they're in the swamp knocking off number seven, Utah. Anthony Richardson, as you mentioned, Mike, everybody knows what he did. So my first question here in the Hot Haney Five, goes to a tweet that came from one Greg McElroy where he compared Anthony Richardson to Vince Young. So, Mike, JC, your opinion on what we saw from Anthony Richardson the other night and that kind of, uh, I guess, comparison slash expectation being put on the quarterback in his first outing against Billy with Billy Napier. A couple things to note. Vince Young wasn't Vince Young until his final year at Texas and everybody remembers it culminated in that Rose bowl. One of the best national championship game performances by any quarterback ever. But before that it, it was, it was a little bit up and down. Like Vince young was not a, a complete product right away in Austin and neither is Anthony Richardson, but you see the signs I've been on record saying as someone who covered cam Newton at Auburn in the first few years in the league with the Carolina Panthers, he's not cam Newton. I don't believe. Uh, Cam Newton was an alien. Okay. Cam Newton, even though, unfortunately, for various reasons, I think you could make the argument he never f- fulfilled his potential in the NFL, and that's on Cam. Um, but, but Cam in college with, with a very pedestrian group of receivers had one hell of an arm and did not struggle with accuracy in college. Pro, a little bit different story. Anthony Richardson's not there yet as a passer. So he's a freak. He's going to make freakish plays like the two-point conversion. And he's he's physically built similar to Cam, although I would say, again, I've never seen anybody look like Cam uh, in terms of pure physical stature, not just big. He was shredded. Um, but I think the Vince Young comparison is actually a better one. And, and I would remind people that Vince Young was not always – the All-American that you saw at Texas. It took a little bit of time, and maybe that's the case with Anthony Richardson, but he made one hell of a statement on Saturday. Oh, I think so, too, and, and he's the perfect fit for what Billy Napier likes to do on offense. If you watched Louisiana last year, they ran the quarterback a whole lot, uh, like to establish the power run game and then selectively pass, and, you know, I, I thought that all went well on, on Saturday for Anthony. Uh, and I worry about people, too, uh, about, you know, this Vince Young comparison. Vince, when he got to be a senior, you know, he had a weird delivery. It was almost underhanded, right? Uh, but and you'd be watching that. I watched a lot of Texas football that year because I, I was in my first year working at Rivals.com, and my boss was a Texas fan. So he'd have me over, and we'd watch we'd a bunch of Texas, right? And, boy, Vince would drop back, and you'd see the ball leave his hands, and you'd be like, oh, this may get picked. And then Lima Swede, he hit him right in the hands, you know. <laughs> and it just somehow the ball got there. Uh, and so if Anthony Richardson can fine-tune that, that, that's great. I mean, look, let's be honest. Florida won the game. They stopped them late. 
uh, credit their defense too for 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 kind of hanging tough. Uh, but uh, you know, it, uh, are we about to say a star is born? Uh, I'd have to wait on that just a little bit, but uh, I certainly like his skill set and his tools. Always have. Uh, always kind of wondered why Dan Mullen wasn't playing him more. Um, and it looks like Napier's rallied behind him. And, uh, you know, sometimes you need the right coach to come in there and, and, and fit what you do as a player. Uh, and I definitely think Napier's system uh, is out, is, is perfect uh, for Anthony Richardson. They, they need to hope he doesn't, you know, they keep him healthy because he's, he's the, a big part of that offense. But I do think uh, that that is a great fit. Uh, based on what we saw, you know, Saturday and also when you're just lining up the general skill sets and scheme. Michael? Moving on to question number two. Uh, we stay with quarterbacks here. Um, and it, I, I want to go back to a question that I asked as sort of an addendum to an overall point about Clemson's place in the ACC and whether this would be a bounce back year or whether or not the conference uh, was poised to at least challenge Clemson for consecutive years going forward. But we did see Georgia Tech last night uh, hang a little tougher with the Tigers than most people expected. It was 14 to 10 late in the third quarter. Uh, the final score, 41 to 10, belies how how close that game actually was uh, as the as the clock ticked down into the third. But one of the questions that I added into that overall last week was whether or not you guys felt that DJ would continue to be the quarterback halfway through the season for Clemson is, is anything that you saw last night again as they say in golf it's not how you drive it's how you arrive at the end of the day Clemson pulls away and wins the great Houdini act uh, by DJ on a third and four getting pulled to the ground flicks a pass and gets a first down keeps a drive going and and the Tigers ultimately pull away um, but is there anything that you saw last night that maybe changes your opinion uh, both of you said that he would still continue to be the guy for the Tigers what do you think about that performance last night from Clemson and their quarterback situation? Nice, uh, nice golf metaphor to, to, to kick in here in week one. Uh, I like that. Not how you, it's not how you drive. It's how you arrive. I don't do either. Well, so uh, <laughs> I can, um, I can use that. some next time I'm on the links, putting divots all over the course. Look, I, I, I was not sold on much of what I saw against a hapless Georgia tech team. Uh, who's probably going to have a coaching change by year's end. And, and just, you know, now that you lost Gibbs to, to Alabama, like there's just there, I can tell you living in Atlanta, there's, there's no buzz, no pun intended about Georgia tech football. It's just like, it's just like one big malaise come, uh, surrounding Georgia tech. So this was a game and I, I realized they, they tacked it on late after I fell asleep, but that game was way too competitive through two, three quarters and all I can say is after watching DJ, I, I, I'm not giving up on him, but depending on how Cade Klubnik looks in practice, I certainly wouldn't give up on the possibility that Dabo does it for a third time where he benches his starter and takes his blue chip All-American and makes him the guy. Uh, I, I, th he's going to DJ's going to have to play better in, in against greater competition he won't be tested as much as some other guys that are playing in the Big Ten or the SEC, but he is going to be tested more than he was against Georgia Tech. So I, I, I would like to see better out of DJ. I was surprised Clemson's offensive line didn't play as, as well as, uh, you know, I expected. I, you know, they, they you talk to folks around that program, that on paper is the best one they've had. 
uh, yet you still saw some struggles. Um, you know, you, again, the buzz out of Tiger Town. You know, there's a lot of of Kublik, uh, Kublik, Kublik, uh, Klubnik buzz right now. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's because of the history you mentioned, Mike. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I I do think that, um, you know, DJ, everybody has to remember he was really, really good during the pandemic here. There are a lot of offensive players that were really, really good during the pandemic here. <laughs> uh, that now that defense is kind of back or not. And and so uh, I think the hope is that he, you know, takes that next step. But I mean, shoot, he doesn't have the receivers he had in 2020 either. I mean, you know, you got to keep that into account too. I, I thought Clemson did a good job pulling away. Uh, I was, uh, I mean, shocked almost. Uh, you know, shocked is probably too strong of a word, but when Tech pulled it, to 14 to 10 in the third quarter. I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, I get the final score of this game last year was 14, eight Clemson. So maybe I shouldn't be that surprised, but uh, the Tigers ultimately pulled away. I, I just don't think Georgia Tech's a very good team and won't be uh, this year. But if you're Clemson, you got Furman, Louisiana Tech at Wake Forest, top 25 team. Yes. A team Debo Swinney, I don't believe has ever lost to. And then that game against NC State, despite NC State's struggles against East Carolina, I thought they did look big and athletic and fast, especially on defense. So um, tip of the cap to, to Dave Dorn, at least, for putting the squad up there that looks the part, right? Um, and so uh, that's going to be, you know, that's not, not until October 1st. So there's the next big challenge uh, for DJ and the Tigers. So he I, he could hold on to the job uh, for a while, in my opinion. But that first loss comes, if it does, uh, you're going to start hearing howls uh, for the backup. All right, moving on to question number three. You guys touched on it because it was just such a such a weird train wreck of a game to watch. But uh, Iowa uh, struggling to get their victory and uh, getting seven the hard way, uh, as they did the local paper, um, <laughs> saying Iowa victory, but not putting the, the O's in either one of the words in Iowa and victory, having some fun at the expense of the Hawkeyes there uh, before their big rivalry game this weekend with Iowa state. But guys, uh, this one goes a little bit deeper. I want you to put your thinking caps on with this one. Uh, Brian Ferentz is the offensive coordinator uh, for his father, Kurt uh, there uh, for the Hawkeyes has been since 2017. Um, Mike, you said, I, I don't know how many teams out there can look as ugly as they do and still find ways to win. So in some capacity, this is working, but the question is this, it's about the father-son relationships. What is one of the, I guess, more hamstrung, uh, I don't know if egregious is the right word to put it, father-son relationships that have had a uh, a negative effect, if you will. Again, wins are still there for them to a point, but a negative effect on a college football program that you can remember in this kind of situation for what Iowa has right now as an offense. Well, the, the names that come to mind are the Bowden's, uh, who eventually, of course, went up against one another, and that became insufferable to the hype around Bowden Bowl. One, two, three, four, five, six. Um, the Stoops. And and I would say, um, I guess the Stoops were all brothers, right? That wasn't father-son. Um, but I, look, I was front and center for one of the most awkward situations, which was Lou Holtz and Skip Holtz. And the problem wasn't Skip, it was more Lou. And instead, Lou sold his son down the river after 
Lou insisted on an offense. Skip was all about the spread. That's what he came uh, to South Carolina knowing and utilizing those first two years, those Outback Bowl years, and then under Phil Petty. And then they wanted Lou wanted his next Tony Rice and basically had Skip told him, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to go to option and we're going to, and the offense sputtered and he wound up demoting uh, his son, uh, which was wrong at the time. And, and I still maintain it was wrong. So uh, you, you, that's like reverse nepotism, right? Like usually it's the son that's getting, a gig that he's not qualified for and maybe bringing down his dad. In this case, I think it was actually upside down. Yeah. I, 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 I remember that too. Well, um, there, now it, he wasn't technically a coordinator, but he did get to call plays sometimes as Steve Spurrier and Steve Spurrier jr. At South Carolina. Um, I think, I think one of the qualifications to be the head coach at Carolina now is, Maybe that you have girls uh, as kids, <laughs> I, uh, you know, but uh, must have had some sons and uh, Beamer obviously has one son and, and some daughters, but <laughs> it just gets, uh, it gets awkward. I think the worst one though, Lou and Skip aside, and Junior and uh, the head ball coach aside, uh, had to be the Jeff Bowden situation at, at Florida State because you had such a successful program and such a big run of success and then Bow, Jeff Bowden gets his uh, hands on the wheel, and that thing just went south. I mean, badly. Uh, and he had to replace him, and it was just, you know, you're asking a legend to replace your son, and it's not Tommy or Terry who at least has won, they've won games here and there, you know, in different places. It's Jeff. And uh, that had to be the worst one that I've seen was, was that that situation. It just um, it didn't work out. Then, of course, they never let Jay Paterno do much at Penn State besides – you know, manage his dad or whatever. So there was no, like, there, I don't think there's any X's and O's situations where he, uh, he is Jay still up working. And, uh, obviously no, he's just out there. He's done. He's okay. just out there. He's a, he's a little bitter. Uh, you well, know, I know that. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so that was the deal, but that, but that, that, that Bowden situation, I remember, uh, it was sort of dr- dr- dramatic, you know, I remember reading all about it, hearing about it. That, that was probably, you know, the worst one that I've seen. Yeah. We only, we only need nepotism in broadcasting, which, which is uh, (laughs) omnipresent to say the least. We don't need it in coaching. Yeah, Uh, no doubt. And usually this doesn't work out, man. It just doesn't work out unless your son is, you know, great. It just, uh, you know, and, and, and dads and sons have different philosophies anyway, like you mentioned. And that Lou thing was crazy. I mean, it was just nuts that he wanted to do that. Uh, of course, it was Lou Holtz and, you know, 2002. Uh, but, you know, it just uh, it never made a whole lot of sense. And, and most people around South Carolina looking back on it were like, you know, hey, Skip Holtz probably should have just been calling his offense the whole time. Skip's have been done wrong a few times. I mean, he should never have gotten fired at Louisiana Tech. That's a, oh, that was that's a, that's a whole horrible. other chapter in, uh, in that uh, 30 for 30. All right, Michael, number three. That was a curveball. Number three. Uh, we're moving on to number four. We're number number four. Number yeah. three was a curveball. What's yeah. number four? You 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 uh you know you're Serrano in major league. You missed the curveball there, Mike. I did. So, I yeah. did. Well, I don't think I missed it, but I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. I think I, I think I put it in play. Man, I had a home run, but I think right. I got a Fair I got something. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, let's uh let's move on with the announcement of the college football playoff coming on a Friday, right before holiday weekend. Odd time for that to uh 
uh, to happen, gentlemen. Uh, wouldn't right. You, wouldn't you say like of all the all the exciting things that could happen? Talk about burying the lead. Yeah, it's a news dump time. It's like the the biggest story surrounding the sport. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we buried the lead with this and number four. So I was just trying to follow along with the powers that be at college football. But um, it's nine months, guys. It's it's what it's what was being talked about from the very beginning. Uh, I, I guess to quote Bob Dylan from Don't Think Twice, it's all right. I'm I'm not saying that you did me unkind. You just kind of wasted all my precious time. So what what changed in nine months that we couldn't have could just already had this thing done and solidified and ready to rock and roll almost a year ago? You sounded like a Johnny Depp and blow. You just go random uh, Bob Dylan <laughs> quotes. You say the man with the plan, but where's the man with the sedan? And I, I don't know. Um, good movie. Blow. I, let me just say this. Uh, this was bound to happen. I told you at the ESPN seminar, uh, they had our, uh, our guy there. <laughs> I always forget his name. Uh, who the, the executive director of the playoff, a uh, Hancock, Bill Hancock. And he goes up there and, and look, Bill's in an, uh, uh, an unwinnable situation because he really has no power, but he is the mouthpiece for the people that run the playoff. And so a, a lot of times you, you listen to Bill and it's like, OK, he's saying what he's supposed to say, but did we really learn anything? But he dropped about 17 hints. I was sitting there with my notepad and pen and I was like, this is going to happen and this is going to be 12 and this is going to happen soon. Um, you could just tell like the way he was saying it, there was a degree of confidence that he had already spoken to the decision makers and this was going to happen. Look, this is what I've wanted for a while now. I used to be an eight team guy. I didn't think they could pull off the right formula for 12. I'm telling you in a sport where no good decisions seem to ever happen and the lack of insight is so God awful that you just have no faith or confidence that they could pull this off. The format and the formula is perfect. I'm here to tell you it's perfect. And I know there's some people that still want to hang on to, well, we should stay with four. If, uh, expansion is going to ruin the sport. You're wrong. <laughs> you're just flat out wrong. The amount of games in November that are going to be relevant now, uh, it's, it's exponentially more. The, Amount of conferences that have some semblance of relevancy now are so think about this. I mean, everybody talks about we're going to an SEC, Big Ten, NFC, AFC. Well, if that's the case, keep in mind those top four seeds, which get a buy, you it, there's not going to be two SEC, two Big Ten. You can't have more than one conference getting the top four seeds. That is that is an incredible concession by Greg Sankey and Kevin Warren, because what I mean, there, there would be several years where those top four seeds that get a buy would be dominated by those two conferences. But now you're going to have a, a, a Pac-12 have a chance, an ACC, a Big 12 have a chance. All these things are, are now in play that wouldn't otherwise be in play. And I'm going to give you a number. OK, the, the BCS, the godforsaken BCS started in 1998. Uh and of course, that was two. And then, you know, we had then we had four. So what is that? Ninety eight. Oh, eight. eight. We're talking about twenty four years, give or take. If we had this 18 playoff, what's our biggest complaint about college football? It's too predictable. It's the same teams. You guys want to take a guess at how many different teams if we had started an 18, excuse me, a 12 team playoff in 1998. 
how many different schools would have had the opportunity to showcase on a huge national stage and say, we made it much like a team that makes the final four in basketball, but they don't win the national title. There's still a damn ban- a banner in that arena. Cause that's a huge deal. If you go to the college world series, but you don't win it all, you still put CWS 2005. Cause that's a huge deal. If you make it to a, a 12 team college football playoff, that is a huge deal, much bigger deal than making, the Meineke Car Care Bowl. People are going to celebrate it. It's going to be historic. So how many schools would have gotten at least one playoff appearance if we had this since 1998? Michael, I'll go to you first. Um, I would guess roughly, let's see, there's what, 120, 130? 130 Division One schools as of today. I'm, I'm going to say almost half. Almost half of those teams would have made at least one appearance. So you would say 60. Yeah, right, JC. I'm going to go less. I'm going to 40, 40 on that 40, 41, something like that. See, that's, that's where I would have been. And you and I would have both been wrong. 66, 66 teams would have gotten into the playoff. You want to take a guess who would have had the most appearances with 18? Michael? Uh, I, I'm, it's going to be between Alabama and Ohio State, but uh, I know Bama was, was in a floor. I'm going to go Ohio State. Ohio State, Michael's on a roll. Ohio State with 18. Uh, Oklahoma second, by the way, 16. Alabama 13. But that's not the story. The story is is as you go down and you see Boise State would have been in there eight times. Kansas State would have been in there eight times. TCU eight times. Wisconsin eight times. How about Michigan State six times? Uh, For Miami fanboys, six times. Stanford six times, Baylor four times. Baylor would have been in. They would have had one of those buys last year, by the way. Uh, Cincinnati, what a great story that was last year. You would have had that great story four times. Iowa, ugly winning Iowa would have gotten there four times. Utah four times. Tennessee four times. UCF three times. Ole Miss twice. South Carolina twice. You heard me, Gamecock fans. West Virginia twice. Arizona State, California, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Tech, and Hawaii once. You can't tell me that that's not good for the sport. Oh, they're never going to win it all. Who cares? Do we say that after a Final Four? A Cinderella that makes to a Final Four? Oh, but they didn't win it all. No, it's a great story nonetheless. I'm not all about the word inclusive when it comes to just your typical postseason sports setup. But in this case, inclusivity, where it's still very much earned and you still have a chance to give a little bit of variety to this postseason in college football, I think it's a good thing. I don't think it uh, I don't think it kills the bowls either. Uh, you know, when you look at it, because you're, you're talking about 12 teams versus eight, eight more teams. So what's that? Four more games that you won't have. And, and there's a chance to include more bowl games uh, because they're not doing. You know, I, I think the the only tweak to this was the original uh, deal was uh, everything, you know, first round and quarterfinals were on campus sites. In other and you words, and I talked about that. Yeah. That, that didn't make sense to not have the first round on site. Yeah. But, you know, like Notre Dame can never uh, play uh, in the quarters, uh, you know, or, or get a buy into the quarters because right. they're, they're, they're not going to be a conference mm-hmm. champ. But, Boy, they're going to love to have that home game. It's their de facto conference championship game uh, if they finish high enough, you know, or wherever they go uh, to play. So it, it works out well for them. 
if I'm the group of five and you know, Mike, I've, I've never been a fan of including the group of five mm-hmm. until this format, this format to me gives them a fighting chance. You know, it's like, okay, you, you want in, you you're going to have to earn it. Uh, but in the case where, you know, the PAC 12 championship game is a seven and five Arizona state versus a, you know, 11 and one Washington or somebody. And, and the Sun Devils pull the massive upset they're probably not going to be among the top four conference champions or in the playoff that gives two group of five conference champions a, a chance to make, make it in. Um, and, and I think that kind of makes it fair. It rewards everything. It rewards strength of schedule. It rewards winning the conference. Um, you know, I, I think it is very inclusive. The, the only thing I have is I hope the committee introduces maybe a little bit of data into the process uh, I, I think that when, I, if, when I've looked at the selection so far, and I don't have a lot to argue about with the selection so far of the playoff era, it's real old school thinking. It's real like, all right, if you go undefeated, that means everything and you're in. Whereas really there's some debate, especially in certain years. You know, Notre Dame a few years back, 12-0, and 0, great. Didn't play but one team with a winning record. <laughs> and, and sure, you know, Florida State was down. Virginia Tech was down. Southern Cal was down that year. But uh, really, that one opening win over Michigan went so far for them, and maybe it shouldn't have. So that's that's the only thing I hope is maybe the the process becomes a little bit more sophisticated, not by much. And uh, I think it'll be a heck of a deal for college football. I think it's going to add a lot of parity, um, especially in the recruiting world. And JC, I know that's something that you can speak to. Uh, you know, not to dig into the NIL stuff, but that's already something that's adding a layer of parity and we're seeing transfer uh, portal situations happen with, with NIL, but there's only been a handful of teams. It feels like that have been in the playoff. And when you go on the recruiting trail, I think, you know, like when the season starts, you're like, like 97% of schools, you know, that you're not going to the playoff. And, and now you feel like there's at least a, an opportunity when this thing really gets going and we get some, and we get in it, you know, five to six years of a 12-team playoff, there's going to be some schools. Like you said, Mike, it's like going to the College World Series. You might not win the whole thing, but you got in. And you can say that you can actually compete. You got a, you got a puncher's chance uh, of getting in to play for the big prize. And I think that certainly is going to be a, another layer with, that I'm curious to see uh, how it affects certain schools in recruiting it within the next decade once this thing really gets uh, solidified. Yeah, and and just to put a bow on it, again, you're still going to have to uh, climb the mountaintop with some insurmountable odds to get there as a group five because these 12 teams, it's still going to be chock full of the power programs. So six conference champs we still have at the moment, depending on what the Pac-12 does or doesn't do, and I, I think they're actually going to salvage their existence. I think the Big 12 is in good shape, and the other two are obviously in great shape. Uh, you, that that one non-Power 5 conference champion that, that's going to get in every year, you don't just have to, like, as JC mentioned, go undefeated. You also have to be the best, perhaps, of multiple undefeateds uh, in the Group 5. So if you had, you know, the Amer- – if, if UCF went 13-0 and in the American – and if Coastal Carolina went 13 and 0 in the Sun Belt, there's only one guarantee that's that's going to get in. The other one has to hope to beat out SEC, Big Ten, Big 12 heavyweights to sneak in as a wild card team. 
And we can always debate the formula and, and, and there's always some, you know, see, here's the thing about this is where we are in general. <laughs> it's not just sports debates. I don't mind having intelligent debates uh, and I don't mind having one opinion versus another. But it's when you you use just silly arguments like if you want to be against this. OK, that's fine. Doesn't make you a bad person. If you want to be against it, and your number one thing is, well, 13 still going to be mad. So what? <laughs> By that rationale, if we have two, then three is going to be mad. If we have four, then five is going to be mad. If we had 32, then 33 is going to be mad. That, that's that's a dumb, nonsensical argument to not expand and to not make this happen. So is it going to be perfect? No, but it's going to be better than what we have now. The the 14 playoff has not been great. And I'm not here to, I'm not saying that it's worse than the BCS because it's not, but we need to, we needed to spice it up. Oh, by the way, it's an extra $450 million. Uh, I realize it doesn't go in our pockets as fans, but it, it is good for the sport overall. So a uh, guy, I, I was disappointed they dumped this, like you said, Michael, on the Friday before, I think it was Friday, one of the biggest weekends that we've had in college football's regular season. But I'm glad it happened. I'm not surprised it happened. And now the only question is, how can we accelerate the process and make this 2024 as opposed to 2026? Because as, as I've said, my utopia is in 2024, we've got – Oklahoma and Texas in the in the SEC a year early. We've got the biggest SEC game of the year on ABC uh, a, a year early. We've got a 12-team playoff. We've got uh, the, the Big 12 all settled and ready to go. We've, we've got stability, and we've got everything. We're not, like, waiting one more year for this and one more year for that. And I, I would just love to see everything come together, which is probably not realistic. This is my uh, Pollyannish thought of the week. In 2024, it all comes together. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but that'd be nice. So going into question number five uh, with this, uh, to, like you said, put a bow on that overall conversation, but again, put your thinking capsule on this. I'll make it easier on you instead of going all the way back to 1998. Let's just go within the last decade with this in mind. Which schools, school or schools, would either of you have enjoyed seeing get a shot to play for the title that you feel got, got screwed over. I know there's a couple of big ones, there's a, you know, there's, there's some uh, Oklahoma state out there. There's, there's some opportunities uh, like that, that, that we could put in there, but which, oh, yeah. which one of those do you feel over the last decade? Would you have loved to have seen in a, in a 12 team playoff, get a crack at it? Well, the one that stands out is the 2004 Auburn team. <laughs> That's a team that went undefeated in the SEC, undefeated in the regular season, had, I think, four first-round draft picks. But, but we're just keeping it within the last decade. The, oh, okay, the last oh, decade. Yeah, yeah, just the last. I was trying to make it easier on you guys. But if you want to go go with that, I mean, that's, that's – I mean, because I could go I could go all the way back to yeah. – I was just know, trying to to limit the – Kansas you know, State. The last decade, you know, but either way. Yeah, Oklahoma State. I mean, I, I could name like five for you that, that got screwed with the old BCS system. When, when, uh, the, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's just go with that. And you guys, you rank okay. that you feel that, that you would have loved to have seen get the shot. Well, that's one. I mean, that, that's probably one of the most egregious ones. I mean, it's almost unfathomable to think like, like years from now, you're going to tell your, uh, your children or your 
nephew or your niece. Yeah, there was once an undefeated SEC team that had four first-round draft picks and didn't get invited to play for the national title. No, that's not true, Dad. Come on, you're lying. No, I swear it. It happened. Uh, Bill Snyder had a K-State team with one loss that very easily could have been good enough to get in. You know, what, 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 that, what would have that meant to that program if they got in and won? You know, maybe all of a sudden K-State becomes more of a, a, a power as opposed to now they're, they're kind of in the abyss uh, since uh, Bill Snyder left. Um, you know, there were Steve Spurrier probably could file as much of a grievance as anybody because, you know, he had multiple teams at Florida that were good enough to play for a national championship, but Florida State would get in the way. It wasn't even an SEC team very often that would get in the way. Um, you mentioned Oklahoma State. I'm trying to think, is there anybody in the Big Ten that really you felt like got got snowed? There was the Penn State team that won the league that did not get into the playoff. Yeah, that's true. How about the West Virginia team that had – that that basically this ended Rich Rodriguez as we knew him. Oh uh, seven, yeah, yeah. I mean they they were good enough to play for a national title. They stubbed their toe against Pitt. Now in any other system, they still would have had a chance, even yeah. in a fourteen playoff. Uh, forget about twelve, but it would have been fun to see them have a shot at it. So those are some of the ones that that pop into my head right off uh, right off the bat. I, I'm gonna go back in time. Uh, I, I would, I think the 1997 Nebraska Cornhuskers would have beaten the 1997 Michigan Wolverines by three or four touchdowns. Yeah, you've mentioned that yeah. easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned 04 Auburn. Uh, this recent decade, uh, 2013 Alabama. Think about that. They they didn't lose till the kick six. Right. Right. And they would have gotten, you know, back if even if there's a 14 playoff, they would have gotten in it. They definitely would have gotten in a 12 teamer. And they're pretty good. You know, they didn't show up for their bowl and Oklahoma beat them, but that was a really good team that lost at the end because of uh, one of the most bizarre endings in, in the history of college football. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> on that end of it, you know, uh, the 2017 Auburn Tigers. Would have loved to have seen them get into the playoff because I thought for two weeks in 2017, they were the best team in the country. They beat mm-hmm. Georgia 40 to 17. They beat Alabama 24 to 10 by double digits. And uh, then they got injured and they weren't healthy against Georgia in the rematch against Georgia. Georgia beat them and went to the playoff and the rest is history. But um, man, you know, th- those that was a good team. And then 2020 Texas A&M. Uh, they were sitting at nine and one. That team won nine yeah, COVID SEC year. football games and uh, just didn't get in there at the end. And, you know, that's kind of, I think, part of part of being a Texas A&M Aggie sometimes is you go cool. in. I, 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 I had one more, TCU yeah. in 2014. Yes. The first year of the playoffs. TCU and Baylor both, really. Yes, both, right. That was the – that was the light bulb to the Big 12. Like, we better get a conference championship game back. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we better do something about that. What, who would have been in the year that Hawaii made it to? It wasn't the championship game, but it was a BCS game. Remember, they got completely throttled by uh, Georgia, I believe. It was 07, 2007. Okay. So, I, like, I wonder year. who's – yeah, I wonder whose spot they took. I mean, that was, that was kind of a joke that they – Timmy, they Ch- occupied a spot. Was that yeah. Timmy Chang? Who was I'm there? Pretty sure quarter? that was a that was a Chang led. Yeah, uh, 
squad. That year, Georgia, I think, lost their first two games. I think they lost to Boise State and South Carolina or something like that. That sounds and then won like 11 in a row, but still didn't win the division. Uh, they had yeah. Marcus Howard, who was a, a kid from the state of South Carolina that came off the edge. They were playing as well as anybody at the end of the year. Think about the 2002 Georgia Bulldogs, who uh, went 13 and one, you know, only lost in the, in, in the cocktail party to Florida and uh, dominated everybody else or, or down the stretch, everybody else they played. They beat Florida State pretty good in the bowl, but. Yeah, that was that was a really good Georgia team in the 14 playoff with David Green and those guys. Yeah, I, David Pollock. I just yeah, I just don't Mark, know. Mark yeah. Richt had a couple of those teams. Mark Richt might still be coaching in yeah. Athens if you had an actual extended playoff. Yeah, anyway, exactly. we could we could do this for an hour. Uh, Michael, go ahead. What was that five? I can't. That was number five. That was uh All that right. was it. That was it for the hot handy five for a uh, week one. All right. Nicely done. Nicely done. Um I'm glad you brought that up because if you hadn't, I was going to uh, to wedge that in into our hot topics because that certainly deserves a mention. And <laughs> the, the timing of it was so uh, janky that that it, it's it's not a back page story. It's a story that could have uh, carried the day. Um, on the uh, "Don't Sleep On" segment, I mentioned Delaware over Navy, Old Dominion over Virginia Tech. How many people? Probably didn't even know Old, Old Dominion is not one double A, but they've only been playing football for like ten years. They've only been playing, they, and that that is the that is the alma mater of one Taylor Heineke, who lit it up in Conference USA when he was the quarterback there. And like ah yeah, but it's Old Dominion. He's still in the NFL, um, doing quite well as a matter of fact, uh, albeit in a in a backup role. I would um, for this week. I'm going to I'm going to do this not so much on upset specials for don't sleep on but just games don't sleep on. Iowa Iowa State very underrated uh, rivalry. Again, they're not in the same conference but they're right there. Uh and and it's, you know, for obviously for the fans of that state, it means everything. And Baylor BYU. Baylor BYU. Uh a lot of people think Baylor's going to win the Big 12, could come down to Baylor Oklahoma. There's BYU, a future Big 12 program. Um, so I'll throw those two games in as the uh, don't sleep on in terms of matchups. Everybody's going to be focused on Alabama, Texas. That game's going to be over in the third quarter. <laughs> Maybe sooner like, than that. I mean, yeah, seriously. Like, it's just like Georgia, Oregon. I, I was like, everybody's excited. That game, I, I didn't think that game was ever going to be competitive, and it wasn't. Really, the only one that surprised me. Um, I thought LSU would beat Florida State, but I should have known better that LSU still has some problems left over uh, from the last administration. Does that make you want to uh, rethink your uh, which Power Five new hire, uh, first year head coach at a, at a new school, is going to be the new uh, like Steve Sarkeesian going into it to year number two? You think? Well, look, I still think Brian Kelly, unlike some of the other people we were talking about is an established product that's win every one everywhere he's been. And so nobody said he was going to do it overnight. Like nobody's picked LSU to win the Western division this year, the SEC. I've seen LSU picked as low as fifth or sixth. Um, and that's based on what they have. That's not based on Brian Kelly, not knowing what the hell he's doing. Uh, people want to be critical about Brian Kelly in that game. What, what decisions did he make that were so terrible or perhaps maybe Florida State, which has been, they've been like 
dysfunctional LSU on steroids for the better part of a decade, maybe they're finally turning the corner. By the way, here's an under under the radar uh, player. The kid, the the defensive lineman for Florida State, his name just eluded me. And I'm so uh, it starts with a V. Came in from a, Albany. Yeah, he came from Albany. Yeah, and the, the only reason good. a transfer from Albany, the only reason they knew about him, is that they uh, they they had a game against uh, Syracuse and they're scouting the film, and Syracuse played Albany and they're looking at this kid like. Good Lord, this kid's everywhere. Well, he was one of the best players on the field in that game. So for all the transfer portal, like just poaching kids from established teams and programs, they got a kid from Albany who's a difference maker. You just never know where the talent's going to come. That's one of the things when you follow the NFL and you look at the like the, the too deep of an average NFL team, you realize there's so much talent out there that we don't know about or talk about because there are guys from one double a division two uh, group five programs starting on every NFL team, all 32 of them. They're everywhere. It's not all Alabama, Ohio state. It's a lot of Alabama, Ohio state, but it's not all. So um, yeah, no, I look, I'm, I'm sticking. I'm not going to lose faith in Brian Kelly because of that game. They're, they're clearly, you can always tell the way certain media members work. Like there, there's certain like, for example, there's certain people that just don't like Dabo Sweeney personally. They don't like what he stands for. They don't like what comes out of his mouth. So they are looking for any reason that they can to jump on the fact that Dabo Sweeney's an idiot and that run is over and they're never going to do well again. Um, what I saw on on um, Sunday night, get my days mixed up. I saw that with Brian Kelly. I saw like a lot of people teeing off on Brian Kelly. I'm like, what the hell did Brian Kelly do to you? Guy's been a winner everywhere he's been. He's a class act. Um, no, I'll defend that higher uh, all the way. If it fails, it fails. But I think I think they got a good one. And look, Marcus Freeman might turn out to be the best thing since sliced bread at Notre Dame. But that is a gamble. Make no mistake about it. That is a roll of the dice gamble uh, for a guy that, in terms of resumes didn't have what some of the other coaches had doesn't mean he can't do a great job, but we'll, we'll see uh, over time. Brian Kelly wanted grand Valley state, dude. He was there 10 years. This dude's paid his dues. I mean, you know, it's not like, and look, I know people don't, especially like up in Chicago, people don't like the fact he left Notre Dame for LSU, but not a lot of fan bases are going to like that. Those are fans. I, I have a lot of respect for him just because you look at his body of work, and he's not a guy that was born on third base and, and thinks he hit a triple. You know, right. he, he's a guy that worked his way up. So um, I got one under the radar for it because I know we're pressed for time. Uh, Virginia at Illinois. Sounds weird right now. But hear it me is out. weird. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> if the Cavaliers can win, and I thought they look pretty good against Richmond. There's been times they've lost to Richmond. So, you know, right. uh, Tony Elliott's team looked pretty good. All right, so then they go Old Dominion at home, which I think, considering ODU beat Virginia Tech, there's no way Virginia loses that. At Syracuse, by the way, Syracuse looked really good beating Louisville. I don't know what Louisville's problem is. Yeah. They go at Duke, they have Louisville at home, they go at Georgia Tech. Virginia and Tony Elliott could be 7-0, and possibly, heading to a home game with Miami on uh, Halloween weekend. So that's uh, – their schedule's kind of backloaded. They got Miami, North Carolina, Pitt, Coastal Carolina. I don't know who scheduled Coastal Carolina. That was a mistake. And then uh, uh, play the Hokies at the end. But, you know, you talk about the Virginia program, and, and Bronco Mendenhall did not leave the cupboard bare. 
right? He, he mm-hmm. didn't quit because he was losing. No. Um, you know, and Tony Elliott's coming there. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I caught some of their game. I like their offense. There's been years, like I said, they've struggled with Richmond or whatever. But uh, if they win in Champaign this weekend and Illinois one and one, they they lost to Indiana on Friday. Um, Cavaliers could get off to a big start. I like that. That's definitely under the radar, but I, I like where you're going with that. And you're right. Uh, the, the Bronco Mendenhall, not many coaches leave when they're doing well and you've got like a franchise quarterback and Armstrong that any coach would gladly have first year coach would be salivating over. That was a weird deal. So Tony Elliott's got a, a roster he can play with. Absolutely. All right. Good. You guys want to pick some games? Let's let, I think it's time now. If it was first time we're doing this, okay. the pick five here unlike a lot of the other shows or podcasts, JC and I have no idea what games Michael's coming up with. So these are not, if we were going to Vegas, this is not what I would, you know, have a briefcase full of cash and just five random games that I don't get to pick. I wouldn't do it this way, but we're not in Vegas and we're not actually gambling money. And and also disclaimer that uh, if you're listening, uh, do not take this advice uh, or blame it on Mike or JC. If they come through for you. Don't Please listen don't. to us. Yeah. yeah, we're just we're just a couple of guys just talking ball. You know, we're not handicappers. And you take like somebody like the Bear, who I think is great, Chris Felica of College Football Game Day. I mean, last year he barely finished above 500 against the spread. And there ain't nobody that's got more knowledge when it comes to betting college football than that guy. But the guys in Vegas are pretty good. And we all knew people in college that – thought they were really smart and, and uh, called up the local bookie at the frat house to place bets. And yeah, I, I know a lot of uh, people that they were calling mom and dad to try and bail them out because they were down five G's Betting college football is fun, but it can also be devastating at the same time. So there's no money on these. We're just having some fun. Michael, what do you got? All right, let's work from west to east. Gentlemen, let's go with USC, Stanford and Palo Alto. The Trojans have not won in Palo Alto since 2014, but find themselves with new head coach Lincoln Riley as a nine-point road favorite. Nine points, Southern Cal. Which What do you got? You know, JC, if you remember, I was on the David Shaw bandwagon. I thought David Shaw was destined to do great things at Stanford, and I actually I thought he'd be in the NFL by now. Uh, I was wrong <laughs> for whatever reason, David Shaw just peaked and Stanford has regressed and I, I can't figure it, but uh, for some reason, that's just been the case. I know they have a good quarterback. I know I do know there are some good quarterbacks in the PAC 12 this year, but I'm going to have to go Southern Cal lay the points. I'm going to go Stanford to cover the nine um, Southern Cal probably win the game straight up, but uh, you know, they've struggled up there with what they call the farm. Uh, it's an early game. Stanford, for some reason, plays very, very well against SC. Uh, I know probably that 66-14 win over Rice has everybody fired up, but it's Rice. And, you know, Stanford has a different style of play. They can kind of run it and play play action and, you know, pro-style stuff that kind of can run the clock on you a little bit, keep your offense off the field. And I think that's what they have to do against uh, I'm not sold on the Trojans defense. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, the Cardinal to cover, uh, but SC will probably win. Game number two. All right. Game number two. Sorry. I had myself muted gentlemen. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll keep uh, moving along. Um, and let's go BYU, a Baylor, the Cougars. 
three and a half home favorites, three and a half points for the Cougars. What you got? Wow. I didn't know that was the line. Uh, Baylor's getting three and a half. I'm, I'm taking the points. I'm going to have to agree. Uh, Baylor was awfully impressive th- their first game. I mean, I, I know it's Albany, and I know Albany's missing their defensive end, <laughs> who's now at uh, uh, FSU. But, uh, you know, Dave Aranda's quietly done a great job, picked up where Matt Rule left off down there. Um, uh, Baylor has arrived, I think, as a program. Uh, it's tough to go up there and win in Provo. So you always have to keep that in mind with the elevation. But uh, I think Baylor's just too good uh, to be getting points in this game. I think they'll go win it straight up. All right. Game number three. Let's go with Iowa State and Iowa. Iowa three and a half point favorites in this game, gentlemen. In spite of their offensive issues, three and a half point favorites for the Hawkeyes. Who you got? Uh, give me the fight and Matt Campbell's and the points. I'm going the same. You know, last year was supposed to be Iowa State's year. I think Iowa took them down in this game. Iowa's quarterback, guys, I, I, I'm i not trying to beat up on the kid. He's terrible right now. <laughs> I mean, he, he just – I sat there and watched that game. I mean, my man couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He couldn't break a pane of glass, throwing the ball. I don't know why they started this guy. And then, the, you know, that makes their offense pretty easy to stop. If I got to just load up against the run, Matt Kimball's too good of a coach to fall for that. I think they go into Iowa City and capture the Cy Hawk trophy on Saturday. All right. Uh, moving east, we've got Tennessee at Pitt. It started as Tennessee, a three-point favorite, has jumped up to a six-and-a-half-point spread for the Volunteers on the road. Guys, who you got? Hmm. Oh, that's a juicy game. Like, Tennessee hasn't really been tested yet. Uh, I still don't know if they have a defense. We're going to find out if they do against Pitt coming off a, a dramatic uh, euphoric win against West Virginia. Man, that's a tough line. That, <laughs> it is that tough, is a, it? That's a tough, tough line. It's tantalizing, but at the same time, you think Tennessee could win by a touchdown in a high-scoring game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to go with the fight in Narduzzi's to cover. The six and a half. So that's my what third straight dog. Okay. I think so. I'm going to go. I think it'll be like a three point game. I think Tennessee fans, uh, they're probably going to go in droves up there because that's not a place they normally play and they'll, they'll travel well, uh, not as well as West Virginia did the other night, but there'll be a lot of orange in that in the stands. Uh, they remember losing that game last year. I think Pitt will score. I'm not, I don't know about Tennessee's defense right now. Uh, and it'll be one of those barn burners that the Vols will end up uh, kicking a late field goal and winning in a very high-scoring game. A very interesting subplot to this game in terms of fans. Um, Tennessee uh, turned down the allotment that Pitt was giving them uh, because they didn't like the section that it was. Uh, mm-hmm. They they turned in 2,500 tickets to Pitt last year to buy up at Nayland Stadium, uh, but they don't feel that Pitt re- returned the favor. So, uh, there's about mm. 400 there's actually 400 tickets available guys mainly for the band for tennessee that they were able to take so any other tennessee fans you see outside of a few hundred there are going to be people that had to buy them on the secondary or tertiary market that's interesting I, i've done a few games at what was heinz field now it's named after 
I don't know, dishwashing detergent, whatever sponsor they picked up. But uh, it, I mean, there's not many bad seats in that house. It's not like the nosebleeds or whatever. Not are that they're not that bad. I think it'll be ten thousand Tennessee fans there. I have to think so, right? Like I, I really, uh, yeah, because I mean, you know, it pit. Look, and I was impressed with Pitt's home crowd. Don't get me wrong, because you're, you're worried in a situation like that that West Virginia is going to have them outnumbered. But I'm telling you, man, SEC teams don't travel really guys like they used to. But when they go someplace they haven't been, especially a a stadium with some history, you know, everybody knows the terrible towels. Everybody knows Terry Bradshaw. Well, Terry Bradshaw didn't play there, but he played at Three Rivers. But the same place. Um, you know, everybody knows Johnny Majors coached at both schools. I mean, it's um, – it's one I think Tennessee fans will care about. It's not a bad flight up to Pittsburgh, and you can even drive it. From you can drive it. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, well. I don't know if the Pirates are playing that weekend. Go to PNC Park, very underrated ballpark. Yeah. Catch a game there. Make a, There's some good restaurants in downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, that could yeah. be a fun trip for, for uh, the folks that are making it. Permini's, Perm- Permonte Brothers or Permonte Brothers, something like that. But, yeah. yeah. So, and I think it'll be a heck of a game. I, I, I think even though ten- Tennessee probably had – uh, the right idea of returning their allotment and saying, okay, you guys, so we'll just go on the secondary market. And I think that's going to cause even more ball fans to show up. All right. Game number five, final one, top 20 matchup in the SEC down in the swamp. We started uh, the hot handy five with Anthony Richardson uh, guys. Does he continue uh, his stellar form under uh, brand new coach, Billy Napier uh, with the Gators getting five at home? against the uh, upstart Kentucky Wildcats and Mark Stoops. Gators favoring by five. Yeah. Giving five, excuse me. Uh, I, I'm fresh off Kentucky. I, I have offensive line concerns there. This is a matchup of two quarterbacks that could very well, if Richardson continues to progress, I think Levis is already going to be in this category. You could be looking at two first-round quarterbacks. I, I said one of the overriding themes this year in the SEC is going to be this has got a chance to be a memorable, memorable year for quarterback play top to bottom in this league, like historically good. I think that's only been validated by what, by what we've seen thus far. You'll see both these guys on display on Saturday. I think it's got a chance to be a great game. Kentucky has had Florida's number. Um They've they've snapped streaks against Florida in the swamp that dated back to the 80s, streaks against Florida at home that dated back to the 80s. I'm taking Kentucky. Give me the points. If Florida wins it, it's going to be a close game. I think a key in this game, Kentucky's linebackers, which I think are good against uh, Richardson and that Gator offense. I think uh, you want who gets the best of that matchup, I think, wins. I'm going to go the opposite direction, Mike. I'm, I'm going to say – Gators get back on track and uh, win it by about 10. I share those offensive line concerns, and I, I think they've got enough athleticism on the D-line uh, to give Kentucky and Levis problems, especially down there. But we're in Lexington, I'd probably go the different direction. But down there, man, that place, especially after they won last week, Mike, they're going to be loud yeah. and proud. And, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a 6 p, 7 p.m. kickoff down there, so it's a night game. And you know how the swamp can get. And so I, I think that the – the O-line issues, like you said, uh, will be a big difference in this football game. Um, and then if, if Kentucky is going to win, I think their linebacking core really has to have a, a really good ball game and slow Richardson in this Gator attack. Now, if Chris Rodriguez is still suspended. I might change my pick. But if he's back 
and he he is as good as any running back in this league. Jordan Wright, their linebacker, hopefully he'll be back to to uh, uh, get get Kentucky at full strength to make this. Uh, you want to see both teams at full strength. You don't want to see anybody out for either side. I believe Florida is essentially healthy. I didn't hear about any debilitating injuries in the win against Utah. So I think it's going to be one of the best games on the board. I really do. Um, talk about defining yourself through two weeks. If Florida can beat Utah and Kentucky, wow, that's 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 a statement. Uh, eight days, uh, if you will, for uh, for the orange and blue in Gainesville. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, that is going to wrap things up. Again, uh, J.C. and Morgan presented by Blue Delta Jeans, the very best, and I mean best, in jeans, custom-made to your specifications. You can go on the website and actually size yourself and then place your order. Uh, It's the same ones you've seen worn by uh, people all over the globe, whether it's uh, folks like us, whether it's uh, athletes, musicians, you name it. Blue Delta has developed quite a name and reputation because – the quality is that good. Go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. JC, for those that don't already listen or they want to tell their family, their friends, what do they do to listen to JC and Morgan each and every week? Do they pay like 50 bucks a pop? Do they, do they have to sign a long-term commitment? Uh, do we need proof of uh, a credit report? Do you need a credit score of at least 680? What, what do you need? That's absolutely free. You go on uh, anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Pods, Google Play, Spotify uh, is a good one. A lot of our folks listen on Spotify, Podbean, um, Stitcher, you know, just just wherever you get podcasts, uh, you can find JC and Morgan. It's even on Audible for those that like the the, the occasional audio book. You can listen on Audible right before you get into your romance novels or whatever. (laughs) Trashy romance novels in the case of Hannah. Yeah, Uh, there's no no doubt doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. That's when he's not uh, stroking his guitar. That was purely an accident. And yeah, uh, Michael, I apologize to you yeah. and your family <laughs> and uh, your future spouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. <laughs> it's time to get out of here quick. Abort. Uh, for JC Sherbert uh, and Michael Haney, it's Mike Morgan saying so long. We'll see you next week on the JC and Morgan podcast. Hope your teams win. Hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday.